0: Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise will become wise. I'm Dan Chappa, and Turton, Fan, and I have been friends for many years. And we've learned a lot from each other, including how to debate opposing views while loving the person. We share a foundation in the essentials of the Christian faith in a love of God and His Word. Here, we'll dive deep into the Bible and present both Calvinism and Arminianism and the precise points of disconcurrence. Hopefully, the contrast will bring you clarity. Welcome to Disconcurring Theo Amigos. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, how are you? Good, it's always nice to see you. Likewise. Yeah, so I saw you had a debate coming up um, on Marlon's program, The Gospel Truth.
1: That is correct. We're going to be debating Romans 9. Which is, seems like a broad topic, but hopefully we'll be able to pin down, narrow it down to a few salient points of discussion.
0: Um, I actually also have a debate coming up. Um, it's in uh, October, October 12th, and it's with Chris Date, and we're going to be debating um, theological determinism. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Chris is a, a very sharp uh, theologian and philosopher. and uh, um, Really expert on uh, ancient uh, uh, biblical languages and stuff like that, so I'm sure it'll be an interesting discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Do you want to dig into the passage for today, which is uh, Romans eleven thirty six? Yes. Okay. And
1: and to what I want to point out here is this is the end of chapter eleven of Romans. It ends with an amen. It's a there's a true break between. Romans, that amen provides a true break between Romans 11, uh, the final verse, and Romans 12, 1, which begins, I beseech bre- you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Uh, so there's, there's a very real break, uh, not just an artificial, you know, for the convenience of the, the scribes, break between chapters 11 and 12. And it's not even just a, a nice, nice assumption, but the fact that there's this amen here uh, does suggest that there's a real end to a thought. The the thought here is uh, it starts in verse thirty three, uh, and it says, "Oh, the depths! Oh, the depth of the riches! Both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out." for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And the, the focus of this that I I really had is the all things. Uh, I know that it's easy to have these kind of glib, you know, all things means all things. But I do think that there's a pretty expansive, I, I do think that there's a pretty expensive intent behind this, all things. And it, it's, I, you know, to give you the, the other passages that I think provide the, a similar line in Paul's thought. Uh, we have Romans 8, uh, 28. And it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. The that, when we I know we previously discussed that passage. But here in Romans 11, it says, of him and through him and to him are all things. So what I think is significant about when you just say, like in Romans 8.28, that we know that all things work together for good, there's a kind of passive way of putting that. That Everything everything works together for good. It doesn't really say that God is doing any of that. It doesn't, it kind of, I mean, it should imply that God's behind it, but it doesn't really say it. It doesn't come out and say it. But here in Romans 11.36, it it spells it out in three different ways, of him, through him, and to him. Uh, Of him, meaning that everything has its origin. Through him, meaning that everything has its, uh, I I guess I would put it, you could almost look at it as a a past tense, present tense, future tense. in, in of him being the past tense, through him being the present tense and to him being the future. But the idea is that everything comes from him, everything goes through him and everything goes to him so that uh, the origin of everything is in God and the purpose and intention and in, uh, of everything is in God. And also the, uh, uh, in Calvinist terms, at least, everything is providentially brought about by God. But it doesn't necessarily you know, the way in which God brings about different things is clearly different. We see that in Scripture. The fact that we call things certain things miracles and other things not we don't call miracles implies that God has different ways of dealing. But all of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. And I don't think the implication here is that you know, like well some things are of Him and then there's the other things that are through Him. Then finally there's a set of things that are to Him. I think the idea is that all the, the all all things are both are each of him and through him and to him. Uh, And that the kind of the result of that uh, is that it's also the glory of God. Uh,
0: So I guess um, before we get to the, the controversial parts, maybe there's a few things maybe we could agree on here. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think um, for starters, do you agree that this is, this is a, different style for Paul at the very end of this chapter, which is at the very end of it, this section, 9 through 11 being a section, and it's almost like a song or maybe a prayer or something like that, where he's he's kind of just, because of the wonder and of these doctrines that, that Paul has just expounded on, he's just broken out into praise of God, and that this ending section is just Paul praising God um, as if it was a song, or a prayer do you agree with that in in general
1: yes i think that be short my short answer would be yes
0: right and so he's talking about you know oh the depths of the wisdom riches and wisdom of god's knowledge and uh uh how unsearchable are his judgments and his uh Inscrutable are His ways. He's talking about, you know, basically God's thoughts are not our thoughts. He has a plan. No one would have thought of this plan. It's not just a genius plan. It's like beyond, you know. It's I I think, um, you know, that's that's the idea. And I mean, we would probably disagree on exactly on the details of the plan, but in some way, shape, or form, it's talking about the hardening of Israel. And then that leads to the Gentiles being brought in and um, then there's some type of regathering at the end of the age. Um, you know I'm sure we disagree with that on, on the details probably not just because we're uh, you know Calvinists or Arminian, but also because I'm dispensationalist and you're um, covenant uh, covenant theologian I suppose but um, but in, in general there's some type of judo flip of the situation that God is doing where um you know people might look at it and scratch their head and say hey what in the world is going on but God has a plan and he's going to make everything uh work out so do you agree with the, at least that aspect that uh there's this kind of uh God is going to re- reverse the uh, way things look and and everything's going to turn out the way he plans it
1: i think that it you could view it in a sense, as an ode to the wisdom of God and the the kind of the inscrutable wisdom of God. I, I do think that at least if it's not uh, directly, uh, it's not a direct quotation, I don't think, but it, it's it's very similar to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 40, 30, uh, 13 to 14. The first part of it is, who who has directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor has taught him, with whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. Uh, or so, sort of similar to uh, some of jo- the answer that God gave to Job, when Job is like uh, trying to kind of justify himself uh, in, at some point, uh, God's like, oh, really? Um, were you there when I made behemoth? I mean, uh, how about when I set the... The belt that Orion has. What what were you doing then? You know, clue me in here. Give give me advice. I I need your help with this. Uh, So there's certain, uh, you know, verse thirty-four about who's known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, uh, and uh, the and the preceding verse about the depth of the riches of his wisdom and knowledge and his judgments and his ways. Um, you know, I do think is an expression in Paul uh, of, by Paul of the huge magnitude of God's wisdom and the fact that God's wisdom is is very, you know, to use a modern analogy, I guess, it's like you see a master chess player who plans some a trap you know thirteen moves ahead. And you and you don't see it at the time. You think, "Wow, he just gave away his queen," but then you know, 13 moves down the road, all of a sudden he wins the game. Uh, you you might, in that case, you might. Uh, I guess it's sort of like your judo analogy as well. Yeah, you know, he kind of looks like he's he's lo- losing something, but in fact, he's uh, in fact he's he's winning. And you know, verse and that that does connect well with the you know ber- the the thought in verse thirty-two. God has concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all, right? So there is that kind of uh, there's this unexpected outcome.
0: Uh,
1: the you know people who previously in in time past you the Romans presumably have not believed in God, but now you have obtained mercy through their unbelief. Presumably the Jews unbelief. Uh, so I I don't I I think that. The uh, I think that that definitely goes to the kind of the unexpected, supernatural, uh, mind-blowing wisdom of God. Uh, and then, you know, verse 35 he is not quite the same thing, although you know, it does tie in, there's some ways in which it ties into the preceding discussion, but 35 says, or who is first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again uh it's like does do you think god owes anybody any debts like i mean come on yeah
0: Yeah, but i think this one also has cultural inspects, right like the differences between our like you know if if i were to give you a birthday present or something like that i'm not expecting anything back right so but I, i guess in um especially in Roman culture—that was the way things worked, right? You, you'd give gifts uh, to kind of put somebody into obligation to pay you back, um, but that's not the way God's grace works. Um, and, um, but it it also highlights, in essence, like that God takes the initiative, right? That God is the one that uh, that starts everything. It's not that we start anything, and, um, you know. In in essence, it's a more pure form of grace rather than a gift to get something. Um, No, it's it really is a free gift, um, and uh, that's given to us.
1: It is a free gift that's given. I, I think though this is asking about. I I I would interpret thirty five as saying, uh, remember, kind of like in the other. There's another place where it says like who's gone up into heaven. Or who's descended down into hell? Uh, the idea is like, what what human being is there that has somehow, you know, built up credit with God, so he's receiving payments from God for the this, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I do think that it's a little bit of the first given to him. May may you could view it either as you know a loan or as a bribe, and even you know in, in ancient times. There's not a huge difference between those two things, even in modern times. You know, there's a reason why you can't you can't go and uh, you know give a lotus esprit to a government worker. You know, unless you have some unless there's some exp- exception, like I don't know, it's your spouse or something. But uh, I don't know all the exceptions. Uh, don't just go around giving gifts to federal government workers. The point is that uh, there's there's concern. Even yeah. today that if you give gifts, it corrupts judgment because it creates a an unwritten there's even though it's not really there's not really a contract there there's a, a lot there's a fundamental wiring that people have that there is some kind of contract there and even so, i mean the idea is i think in thirty five that there is no uh, that nobody is smarter than god like no one no one uh, God didn't have to go to anybody for advice. He, he was, he's fully able, he, he made all these decisions himself. And is basically, he's smarter than anybody else. He's figured out all these things himself. He didn't do this because he owed anybody anything. It's not like that, you know, uh, Adam, Adam, uh, you know, somehow did this amazing thing and now God owed him. So fine. Uh, Jesus is coming to say to provide this way of salvation because God owed Adam. No, it, it's all. All of this is uh, is freely from God, but then uh, the answer, kind of the answer to thirty five, uh, and to thirty four, is this: is thirty six, which is that all things are of Him, through Him, and to Him. And I'm not sure if what you from what you were saying, if you wanted to limit the all things here contextually to. All things that per- pertain to salvation, uh, or if you wanted to expand it to uh, all things, absolutely.
0: Sure. So, actually, I'll make one quick point before um, I'll and I'll dig into the thirty-six itself. But um, so you mentioned Romans chapter eight, um, for we know that all things work together for good for those that love Him. I think there's similarities, but I think there's also pretty big differences. Um, I would refer that specifically to mostly to God's um, security and governance it, it is it, it does pertain to God's providential governance um, and but it primarily pertains to the security of those that love God but this doesn't have an upfront condition in there like it's not for those that just that for those that love God this is more universal right it you know it's it's all things in in that sense and um, it's to me. It would be more similar to I think it's in like a Hebrews one three or I think in Acts seventeen. You know, in Him we live and move and have our being. It's it's one of those types of expressions. Um, okay, so let's take it piece by piece. Um, so the uh, of Him it seems very cl- clearly to be anchored in creation itself. Right, nothing would exist if God didn't. Uh, I mean, God ex- God exists, he's eternal, um, but everything else, everything that's not God uh, is from God in that sense, right? He created it out of nothing, and it would be nothing if it wasn't for God's creating it. Um, so, 100%, I don't think we're going to I don't think we necessarily would disagree on that point. Now, maybe you think of him means more than just God created those things. But I think we could at least agree that God created those things and that's why they exist. Okay. All right. Now, through him um, is the interesting one. Um, And so now let's let's handle the easy one, the, the to him, the goal. So the goal in creating everything was God himself, right? It was for his glory, for his praise um and uh that's you know everything has its uh end or um goal uh, in God. Now, how exactly that works and fits, we'd have to, uh, wrestle to the ground. Um, you know, I think it is, it's very clear to say that, you know, that's the purpose of life, and we can see that in, like, Ecclesiastes and, and that sort of thing, that, uh, you know, that should be our, our primary focus and, and goal in life, it, to glorify God. Um, now, what, ex- how exactly that works, um, you know i guess uh in the case of uh on predestination especially the reprobation is a little i would think a little tricky right like i think you would have to wrestle with the two wills of god sort of sort of thing because in in some sense um you could say perhaps you could say that well they glorify god because he gets to punish sin and that's what he wants and he's going to obtain his glory in that way but they don't glorify God in their good works, because ultimately they um, violate his, at least his um, commands, um, in some sense, forever. So I think that would be a little bit tricky. Uh, I'm not sure. What do you, um, what do you make of the uh, teleological um, goal of those things which end up in hell forever?
1: Yes, I think that they show God's wrath, and uh, and that that is one of the. According to Romans nine, uh, at the way it, Romans nine kind of words it what if God is was you know wants to do this? But the implication in my in my understanding is that God is saying that is what God has in mind. He he wants to show his mercy, and he also wants to show his wrath. He shows us mercy on those uh, ultimately in heaven and he shows us wrath ultimately on those in hell and uh, and they both serve a purpose as it relates to god it's not a very positive thing as it relates to those humans in hell or to satan himself and his angels who are in hell it's not a positive uh, purpose uh focused on them so if it was uh, that all things were were to uh, those people uh, to those people to to this, to Satan and his angels and to the uh, those who who never believe. it wouldn't be accurate to say that uh, those things are uh, to their benefit or to their happiness or their glory. So okay, let me ask it a
0: different way um, because maybe I'm um, being less than clear. So you're a Westminster guy, right? Yes. So so the Westminster, doesn't it say the purpose of life is, you know, to glorify God and serve him forever?
1: It's, it actually says that the chief end.
0: The chief end? Which, or, the chief or, or, end oh,
1: of man. It's the highest purpose.
0: The highest purpose of, 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 of man is to glorify to, uh, God.
1: Serve, to serve God and to glorify him forever.
0: Okay. So is that their chief end if they're if they're rebelling against God eternally and being punished for it in hell? Like, how does that square?
1: So, uh, none of us uh, fully serve God in the sense of obeying his commandments, not even the ones who are saved by God's mercy. And uh, although we will glorify him, although everyone ends up in some sense glorifying God, either through uh, being, you know, Glorified and then ultimately serving God and uh, glorifying God uh, as an expression of God's mercy, or glorifying God in the sense of being an expression of God's wrath. But no, not not everyone uh, sir, Not everyone achieves that chief end. In fact, the only person who achieves that chief end is Jesus Christ. The so, highest end, yeah.
0: So, in in some sense, um, they don't glorify God in that way as much as they should
1: correct right yeah. Yeah. okay I Other, mean, otherwise th- there was
0: no law <laughs> right right it, it, yeah so in in that sense um so it, in this sense of um to him are all things is a different sense than that right it's it, The to him is some type of goal, but it's a different goal than that goal because that goal is the obedience of God's commandments, what things should be. And this to him, this goal is satisfied and achieved whether they obey his commands or not,
1: right? Uh, Yeah, it doesn't have to do with... I mean, we're getting a little bit out of, uh, you know, obviously out of the the text itself, but I, I certainly, I do agree with that point. In other words, I do agree that the, the to him are all, you know, that all things are to him here doesn't mean that there's only sinlessness in the world.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I can't, I get what you're saying, um. Okay, fair enough. We can um, we can move past the point. So let's go. Let's circle back to the th- the through him. Well, it's not quite clear what the through him means, and because of that, I I'll offer you two different takes because I'm not a hundred percent sure on it. Um, so if we take this in a the broadest sense of all things, like literally every everything uh, that they're Everything in existence, um, then this definitely has, it pertains to God's omnipresence, providential control, um, that He's directing everything and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it would also tie into what a lot of um, people view as uh, the doctrine of concurrence, which I think is biblical and true, which essentially is that um it's not just that God created us and then just kind of left us on our own momentum so to speak to continue existing um but he sustains us he up- we- we upholds us um continually at every moment so that it, you know it's not it's not enough that God just created me um but he has to sustain me and keep me in existence and if I if he doesn't then I stop existing. Um, at the moment that he stops uh, concurring with my existence, I suppose, uh, would be one way to say it. So I think if you take all things in in that broadest sense, which could be, because again, this is a hymn of praise, then that makes the um, the most sense to me, that it's talking about God's omnipresence, providential control, his concurrence with everything's existence, and his general plan and direction for the world.
1: So I have to say, I have to acknowledge upfront that one of the tricky areas, one of the trickiest areas of Greek is, the, is article usage. But the second like unto it is preposition usage, because of the fact that it's very hard, a lot of times it's very hard to map prepositions between languages, he, even though English is, is a pretty great language for English, but it doesn't exactly map to Greek. So, for example, the to the from uh, of him is ek, uh, and and then the uh, to him is ice. So, but you know, there might be times when to is not the word you'd use. You might use into, but saying into him here really wouldn't convey the right meaning. And uh, so, you know where "ek" can mean uh, it can have a, n- a number of different translations. You you know sometimes from or out of, but again, out of him doesn't really wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, so the same the same is true, maybe even more so about this uh, "dia" preposition that's used here. It's just uh, in the form. I think D, but anyway, it's the it's, it. It seems to have, in my understanding, usually some kind of causal connection to the thing, a channel like Like just using kind of Strong's. Uh, if you go to like Strong's uh, uh, definition, they will it will say something like I think it says. Hold on. It says, you know, de- denoting a channel of an act, uh, it doesn't. And then I think you'll see probably something uh, something similar in Thayer's probably, although Thayer's is more extensive. And you'll see like in a lot of it, a lot of preposition use kind of depends on the context. But I think the point is that. Uh, This is an instrumentality, this is a, the the sense of the through here is is one of instrumentality, not merely of. uh, I I don't know, maybe, maybe what you've said is enough to imply instrumentality, but I I feel like it's not, I feel like you're trying to not maybe not trying to, but you're you're sidestepping the instrumentality aspect by saying. uh, That uh by saying concurrence instead of saying that uh instead of saying instrumentality because what, yeah what what inst- uh, um how do you
0: cash out the instrumentality that you see what do you think paul is conveying through this dia? Uh, um essentially through him what do you think he means
1: by that i i think he means well, I think he's implying meticulous providence. Whether you can cash out all of meticulous providence from just that one preposition and the fact that it's used in this context, I don't know. But so, I, I, that's what it is what I think, yeah.
0: So I agree with you on meticulous providence. But what else? Or do you think, do you think it means causal determinism? Or are you OK with just stopping short at meticulous providence?
1: Well, I'm probably okay with stopping short at meticulous providence and uh, and just you know fighting another day on whether meticulous providence itself then implies some kind of de- de- you know determinism and what's the difference between causal determin- determinism and non-causal determinism and how is such a thing as non-causal determinism even a, a thing? <laughs> but you know that the, the uh, you know, but the meticulous providence is the is the key. and i I see this expression uh, as as very parallel this, this this triple preposition expression of him through him and to him. I, I see that as expanded as a as a compressed form of what of what he used in his Mars Hill sermon do uh, you mind if I read that the snippet I think I mentioned to you uh, uh, yeah that's fine go, go right ahead uh, A- A- Acts 17 24 uh, through 20 I think through any, 24 through 26 let me just pull up and make sure that's the right uh, yeah
0: uh,
1: well so I'll start at 23 it says as I passed by and beheld your devotions I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God whom therefore you ignorantly worship him I declare unto you so uh, this is just a reference to uh, in the in Athens, there were a very they they thought basically they wanted to make sh- they didn't want to they want to irritate or anger any of the gods. And they figured that there are so many gods they might have missed one. So they made an altar to the unknown God just in case. that way, you know, whichever god this is couldn't be too angry because at least he had been worshipped. And uh, you know they're covering their bets, basically. Uh, But in fact, they didn't know the true God. And so in some weird sense, this altar was an altar to the Lord. And so he said, you know, you worshiped him ignorantly, but I'm declaring to him, I'm declaring him to you. And now he explains who he is. And he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. And before I go on, so I see 24, um, especially this first part, God that made the world and all the things therein, the, as equivalent to the from him or or the ek, oto, the, the first prepositional item. Uh, and then it says, it's neither worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. That's what I, I see as... Uh, Well, let me continue on. Seeing that he gives to all life and breath and all things and has made of one blood all nations of man for to dwell on all the face of the earth. So uh, at least to that point, I see that as very similar to the through him. And then it has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Uh, I see that as... Uh, to him, uh, in some in some sense, very similar to the to him point that that they have that man is not his man's teleology is not anthropocentric. it's it's theopocentric. where we should have a uh, God focus. We should think about our purpose and our existence as being to insert in service and, and glorification of God not in the service and pursuit of ourselves. And so uh, God made all things. He gives us a life and breath in everything we have. And he uh, he has decreed everything that's coming to pass in terms of when he says that the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, uh, I, I interpret that as meaning uh, a claim that God is in control of history. So that in some sense, that's, the, uh, in, in some sense, that's really the, the part of that second, the present tense aspect that we were talking about, but then uh, that they should seek the Lord. Uh, again, that's uh, the part that's uh, focused on the purpose of man and the, therefore the third of those phrases. And then in verse 28, you mentioned this earlier, I think in our, in our discussion, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Uh, and then that in him we live and move and have our being, I tie into that second prepositional phrase, through him. And then for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we shouldn't think the Godhead is like gold, silver, or stone. Uh, and that that we're the offspring of God there is really a reference back again to the fact that God's the creator of everything. And that at the time of these times of ignorance, God winked at, but commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness uh, by that man whom he has ordained whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. That's, that's the to him again uh, phrase. This, that the purpose of humanity is, uh, is focused on this uh, coming judgment day. They, they didn't care for his claim about the resurrection of the dead. Obviously, we we hear about that. But anyway, I tied it. I tied it in there because I think that the idea of uh, that, th- you know, the the two of him ek ekautam, uh, ek being that he is the creator of all things. I don't think you and I are that different on that point. I think we we both acknowledge that God is the creator of all things. There is not some uh, other creator. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and we also, um, I think we're 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 mostly on agreement about the ice out on that the, the uh, to him that that everything has a God. Um, there's a God focus to uh, to everything, and it may be just this through Him that where we uh, where we have a difference. But that's where I I kind of I wanted to emphasize that one, because in some of our discussions, I felt like it was almost as though there's a dichotomy between who we are and what we do, such that God can kind of decree who we are and can create us, but he, but there's this idea in certain ideas of free will that he's not somehow in control of what we do in the same way in which he was in the control of who we are.
0: Yeah, so thank you. OK, so um, we, and, and I think we're, we are digging into the point of maybe this disagreement, because there was so much of that you said that, that I actually agree with, in fact, I was really searching for where I might disagree. Okay. So let me see if I can state it this way. A hundred percent. I do make the distinction between um, actions and an actor, right? They cannot be actions without an actor. They can't be uh, choices without an agent making the choices, right? They, they, you know, that that much is clear. And I don't think you would disagree with that. Um, There is an existence between uh, a difference between existence and action, right? And action is the things which exist are doing something, um, but it is the things which exist that are performing those actions, and they can't. There can't be actions unless those things exist. So um, now, uh, I I do think it's talking about that. The, God has created us so he's the source of our existence um, let's see but then um, you know it, it goes it goes further than that that, that we're going through him and in the other passage in him we live and ha- move and have our being and I, I do think there's this this sense of God upholding us and we are maintaining our existence is entirely dependent on Him. And it is a cause and effect relation in, in that if God is not causing us to exist, we will not exist. Um, so it is a um, uh, that sort of a causal t- dependence on God, for sure, uh, 100%. So um, I guess where we may disagree is well, the things that he's upholding in existence, um, they may themselves be, have God-given abilities uh, to do things. And God doesn't, at least directly, cause those things uh, that we do. Right. And, and I think you would. Oh, actually, so maybe you do or maybe you don't. So let's so let's let's um, let's talk that through, because you we we started to talk about it and we had this same issue in the, our conversation on Molinism. So this is important. So let me see if I can uh, paint two different models. So you asked the question, what's the difference between causal determinism and non-causal determinism? <laughs> right. Right. And, and we, had, we, we we kept going back and forth on, you know, is this an aspect of God's free knowledge or his mental knowledge? Okay, So let me see, lay out two different models and let me see which um, sounds better to you. So one is that um, I would, it's closer to, I guess, uh, like John Edwards or maybe even Turton or something like that, where, um, you know, basically in a human being, um, our intellect determines our wills. Right. Such that, you know, we can't choose uh, different than our greatest desire, our strongest motive, um, the last judgment of the intellect. Um, They put it in various different ways, um, but it it was this sort of causal chain inside a person that originates from outside a person and just moves into the person. But in essence, that... uh, um, and and I know you probably wouldn't like the word dominoes, but it's kind of like cause effect, cause effect, cause effect, cause effect. Um, you know, starting from, you know, I guess creation and, and, and moving right on through and everything happens, uh, exactly the, the way it's caused to happen. And it can't be caused otherwise. That's causal determinism. Um, now there's another Calvinist view, but it's more rare. Um, but I think it was a uh, branch. Um, but anyways, there's something called occasionalism. And what occasionalism says is it looks at cause and effect relationships. And it says, well, it, it looks at like, a, I guess what David Hume would have talked about and said, okay, well, we see this relationship, you know, every time we see fire, the paper catches and, you know, starts to smoke and then disappears, you know. But, but what is this? All we see is the fire and the smoke. We don't see necessity. We don't see that it must burn. We just see every time that this happens, it happens. And we just have a mental expectation that it's going to continue happening. And um, what occasionalists said is, well, God is what steps in and makes, you know, and is the cause and effect relationship. And, you know, every th- every time there's a, you know, let's say a, a, an agent making a choice, God, at that moment, Causes it to be, and not just causes it, the agent to continue to exist, but is the cause of the agent choosing what it chooses, um, and that's uh, what I understand occasionalism to be. Um, so it's it's a it's kind of a stronger causal determinism in a sense um, because God essentially is the cause of everything directly. Um, so do you, for starters, do you see the difference between these two? Um, types of determinism and
1: uh which would you hold to okay uh well i do see the difference between those two i i should i should acknowledge that i i was mostly being facetious about uh, but by, by saying non-causal determinism, because usually people aren't aren't offering non-causal determinism as the as the um, as the alternative. Usually, it's kind of a uh, what's the right word? It's kind of a way of of trying to get in a little bit of a slam on determinism by making it sound more uh, mechanical or something like that. Which, uh, in fact, I've also heard mechanical determinism and things like, you know, terms like that. The, you know, even with occasionalism where you have that, the idea that any, if the, the relationship between cause and effect is just in each instance, uh, particularly carried out by God, there's, it changes the way in which cause and effect work. But, but then again, who you know who is it that has decreed that cause and effect? I- even if you don't say it, if you don't do it as an occasional view, even if you have it only as a general view, still you have to say that the the fact that there is laws of cause and effect, when you apply it to the physical world,' setting aside moral agents because of the controversy. When you look at the physical world only, um, you see that there are laws of cause and effect where we believe there are laws of cause and effect. Yeah, and I, I, I'm,
0: it, I'm sorry. On, on occasionalism, there isn't. It's just God.
1: Right. I'm, I'm saying uh, set, setting aside occasionalism. Yeah. It, but if you say that there are laws of cause and effect, you still have to ultimately, they don't have their origin outside of God. So if there are laws of cause and effect, they come from God. And if it's occasionalism, then there's not law general laws of cause and effect. Uh, it just all comes from God. But that might cash out to almost exactly the same thing uh, because either way it's from God, whether it's just because the laws of cause and effect are from God or whether because God you know, visits each occasion, makes a judgment, and decides what's going to be the outcome. But, but in any, any event, the, um, with it in the case of the physical world, in the case of physics, in the case of biology, Generally, people are pretty comfortable with the idea that for every effect, there is a sufficient and uh, and efficient cause, and it's not troubling that the same uh, you know banging your flint on on a wooden table doesn't produce a spark, but banging it on a on a steel table produces a spark, uh, even though. It's the same banging, and two two different effects are achieved. Uh, you, because there's no moral uh, issues that are associated with it, it doesn't muddy the the thinking at all. And the uh, the result, the two different results from the same action of banging with flint, are uh, uh, you know, everyone kind of sees that. It, well, it just makes sense because when flint hits steel you know, some kind of reaction occurs and electrons are freed and a spark is emitted. Uh, Whereas when Flint hits wood, there's no similar reaction that occurs and therefore no electrons are released and therefore no, I don't know exactly the the chemical reaction, whatever it is that causes a spark. I'm gonna need to mute myself for one second. So the, um, Whatever it is, I, I think that there's I think when it comes to human beings, there's more difficult there's a there's a model of human beings that that treats them as though human beings are all identical wood tables, and someone's banging a flint on on all of them. and in some cases,, uh, it's sparking, and that's because of divine intervention, as opposed to uh, people being some people being wooden tables and some people being steel tables. And the ones where it's sparking, it's because it's a steel table. And if it, if you're looking at it in terms of tables and sparks, no one has a big problem with the fact that different tables produce different reactions to flint being smashed on them. Whereas, when it comes to human beings being faced with temptations, uh, there's a there's a fundamental dislike of the idea that human beings uh, don't have this what what's often called this kind of contra uh, contrafactual power or contra causal power. I don't know what I don't know the best term for it, but the uh, The idea that you c- could have done they, differently than you did, the choosing that the, the, the they can choose things. That's not the problem that people have. The <laughs> idea that nobody yes, seems is. to have much of a problem. <laughs> nobody seems to have much of a problem with the idea of people actually choosing things. Uh, uh, it's the problem. The problem is that people feel uh, like they could have chosen something different. Yeah, of course. That that's the problem. Yeah, and. So- uh, yeah that
0: yeah so okay so um I think with with people they'd not like the tables or fire to paper or something like that in terms of the just the, the sheer regularity isn't there now people have habits and you know that sort of thing but in in general it's a lot harder to predict and so the question I guess could be well, are people just way more complicated than, You know fire and and paper um or is there a reason why there isn't this established regularity why is it that you know one day um you know I, i i drink coffee and the next day i drink you know iced tea or something like that um there's uh we don't have the uh establishment of a pattern of well if this is there then that's there and it it, it's not that way with people now you know people have their preferences and you know um what they things that they like and they they tend to go back to them and, and stuff like that but uh um but there's not that established regularity but i guess i guess i come back to so um let's take that difference between um occasionalism and um just general causal determinism i get what you're saying that they're both through him in in one sense but they're different in in very different ways um because in occasionalism um god is kind of on the spot stepping in and he establishes like the cause and effect relationship right then and there so in that case if occasionalism were true all counterfactual statements would be grounded it would be would have to be God's uh, free knowledge it have to be but if causal determinism is true and it's like a set of dominoes then that is already established when God sets the the laws of cause and effect Um, so what will you know Dan Chapa do if he were in Starbucks right now is something that God had already causally determined and the fact that he's create uh If he creates me and if he sets the laws of uh, uh, a certain way and that circumstance is sufficiently defined then he could just calculate it and so that's would be part of God's natural knowledge not to re-debate that debate but that's exactly why I was taking the position of well no it it doesn't belong over here it belongs over here right Um, it it is because of the difference between occasionalism and causal determinism Um, so where does that leave us? I guess it, it sounds like you're not taking this text as an explicit state of causal determinism, and that seems wise. What it's not saying is God is um, causing every action that is to happen, including all the sins of every person ever. It doesn't say they can't do otherwise. It doesn't say that these things are necessary given God's causation of them. Um, it just doesn't doesn't load all that freight into this text, so it seems wise not to to say all that. But then, if you don't if you don't press this text to the point of some type of causal determinism or occasionalism, then what are we disagreeing on?
1: Well, I'm glad to come back from the tangent. Uh, Almost before we got back to all, all the way back to Romans, the, in, in uh, the one phrase I wanted to particularly highlight again in, in 1728 uh, in Act 1728 was the um, in him uh, in him we live and move and have our being." And I agreed with I, I was agreeing with you when you said earlier that yeah, there's a difference between the actor. And the action, and that there's a difference between existence and action. But I think that there's a I'm trying to think of the right word to use here, but they're put all on the same plane by this by this way of speaking. when you when when Paul says in him, uh, and again, there's this preposition in uh, but it's not it's not like it's at some location, but it, it's more like by, by his power. In him we live and move and have our being. They're all put uh, on the same level. So our very existence, the fact that we continue to live, and the things we do, the we live, we move and we have our being are all put into that same bucket, even though they are different things. Like the fact that we're alive is different from the things that we do is different from the fact that we exist. Those are three different things, but all of those are in him, uh, meaning uh, by by his power. And, and in my understanding, if this gets us back to uh, Romans 8, It's it's this through him. And the idea is that there is an instrumentality of God to all of these things. Whether whether we want to label that instrumentality as uh, something more than meticulous providence, if if it just turns out that we just agree that, well, it means meticulous providence, but then we just have some disagreements about what what exactly is included in meticulous providence or how does God bring about meticulous providence without... Injury to the creature's free will, which, uh, which we also interestingly agree with. I mean, you don't think that God injures man's free will, and I also think he doesn't. It's just, of course, we mean something a little different by free will. Uh, but you know, maybe we just have kind of a uh, a an agreement or a, a most mostly concurrence in the discussion. But I, I, I feel like. Uh, The sense in which that he's saying uh, through him here, of him, through him, and to him are all things. And then tying that together with, to whom be glory forever. To me, that means more than just uh, that God has signed off on what's happening. And, And again, it may be that you're perfectly okay with saying that not not just that God signed off on it but that God has in in a very real sense approved of and is in a very real sense controlling what happens but just that he's controlling it without um, without uh, the use of what you describe as causal determinism and uh, of course the term causal determinism isn't a scriptural phrase and it's one of those That's one of the reasons I'm a little bit shy to say, okay, well, this says causal determinism. I can show you places in scripture where it looks like the Bible is talking about causes and effects for human actions. And if there is causes and effects for human actions, then it seems like there's some kind of causal determinism, even if you don't want to use that expression. I think that occasionalism is kind of an interesting philosophical novelty but that it's not a uh, there's nothing in scripture that would make us think that that's how god you know runs the world uh, so now i didn't i did not take you as suggesting that you're holding to occasionalism that's correct right no, no. okay yeah so setting aside that uh that other sense uh it seems like if you have a, if you have God uh, saying that that all things are of Him, through Him and to Him, then it, it's it's as though, and, and also when you go back to the next uh, 17 passage about in Him we live, move and have our being, it seems like God's taking credit in a very real sense. Not only for the bare existence of his creatures, but he's also taking credit, in a sense, for their actions, for their continued life, and and for their actions, as well. Not he. Not that uh, he's, uh, not that he's uh, taking uh, moral blame. All, all it but, says is, in him we live and
0: move and have our being. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah, in him. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, obviously, we both hold to omnipresence.
1: Um, But that's not what it means. Uh, That's not uh, in Him we live and move and our being doesn't have anything to do with where God's presence is. Why not? Uh, Because it it's not about location. It absolutely is. Movement changes your location, but you're still in God. That that's not what in Him has to do. It doesn't have nothing. It has nothing to do with location. It has to do with uh, power. Where are you getting that from? The use of in in the New Testament.
0: So, okay all right i mean i i'd be interested to uh um to find out that i'm i'm wrong about that, that 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 in doesn't mean location i understand that in is uh that that preposition is flexible and we talked about it already like how prepositions are tricky things sometimes and that's okay um and, and, and i don't I don't have a problem with the the, the overall idea that you're suggesting that it, it has a providential sense, and that's certainly the case that everything falls under God's governance and direction, and He does, just doesn't need uh, causal determinism
1: to to do that. Um, so, if you're looking for the uh, like in Thayer's, if you're looking for that, where that would be found, you just look down in the. Uh, there, of course, there is a sense in which in does match to uh, and in Greek does match to in, in in English in terms of having a, a location, like within some limits or something like that in a city, for example. Right. But it, there's also other meanings and the and those include ones that are uh, based on. And if you go down here, it's listed under. uh, uh used of that with which a person is surrounded, equipped, furnished, assisted, or acts. Uh, and uh, like of the instrument or means by which, this is uh, basically 5D in the in the list there, it says that of the instrument or means by which uh, anything is accomplished, owed, owing to the influence of the Hebrew preposition, uh, much more common in the sacred writers and the secular authors, where we say with or by means of or by or through um, and then they, right, they give the, some examples
0: but the context of 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 act 17 is um the boundaries of nations right let's see um and, and in verse 26 um and he made uh from one man every every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and their boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek the Lord if perhaps they uh, feel their way towards him. Um, yet he is not far from each one of us. So the you, you have the boundaries of their dwellings, the determined allotments, the um, he's not far from each one of them, right? for in him we live and move and have our being. I mean, the context is pretty strong that this is the normal sense of in, uh,
1: in terms I mean, e- even in, in that if you go down and, and look, one of the examples that they give for, of that in which other things are contained and upheld as their cause and origin, one of the examples is given as Acts seventeen twenty eight. in God is found the cause why we live. Uh, so I, I, I'm not, I'm, I, maybe it sounds like I'm just making this up, but it, it's a real thing. And I'm pretty sure that that it's not. It doesn't yeah, have to do with the no, place where we are.
0: No, but we. I think what you need is an argument as to why that sense is to be preferable to the the location sense. Um, well, that, I, that, okay. It, my
1: my first argument is because they are said so. Okay, but I, I know fine, that's not that's I, fine. That's not the <laughs> whole argument. Yeah. I, I basically my point is that it's not. Uh, I'm not trying to. This is not. You know, uh, my my own crazy idea. Uh, I'm just, I'm actually a little bit, uh, I am a little bit puzzled. Uh, I guess I'm not as puzzled, but I'm just a little bit surprised, I guess. Uh,
0: It's not the idea that I'm objecting to, it's that that idea is is here i mean even if if you let's say you're right it's not a it's certainly not a problem um you know because i i hold that god's providence governs everything and that god is the source of every life and and ultimately the 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 source of every action um so i have no problem with that um
1: Okay, so here's oh here's my argument then for this specific use in or that specific meaning in this specific case. Okay, uh, aside from the argument from authority, which is which can be flawed, by the way, I mean I, I'll be the first to acknowledge that just appealing to the fact that some uh, you know, that Thayer's used this verse as an example of that meaning doesn't really prove that it's so. It only proves that you shouldn't you you should at least consider it as a as a possible thing, not that it automatically proves it. So. Setting aside just the theaer, uh, maybe Thayer is a Calvinist. I'm not even sure. It doesn't really ma- matter. Uh, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then Paul's ar- in Paul's argument, the next point is, as certain of your uh, also of your own poets have said, the the point that he's making from their poets should be the same point that Paul was just making. And he said that the point he makes from their poets is, we are also his offspring, not. We're also surrounded by him, or we're not. Uh, we're also close to him, or we're also nearby. Although I can see that, you know, if you look at the previous one about hey, he's not very far from us, you might think that it's more of the location aspect, uh, because God's omnipresent. Therefore, we're not. He he's he's right. You know, next to us. But the the fact that it's saying we're also his offspring is the reason. It may also be what. Uh, I could be wrong, but it might also depend on whether w- which form of uh, the pronoun take which uh, sorry, which declension the pronoun is in, whether it's in the dative or not, i can't I cannot remember. Uh, but but that that would be the idea here is that if he's if his focus, if the point of his argument is uh, about the location of God, then we're his offspring doesn't say anything because they uh, their poets thought that there's a sense in which we're God's offspring, but they didn't think that uh, God was nearby. They thought he's out on Mount Olympus, right?
0: So it's a good point, and I hear you. So if the if the, the his summation of the point is you know for we are indeed his offspring that um, that has to do obviously with creation, but not just creation, but a relational type you know creation that he's our uh our our father and he he is the father of, of all men all people that in that sense but i don't think it's decisive again i i come back to where paul starts from yet he is not actually far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being like how does the point of um that god it, let's let's say let's let's uh let's say deism was true which is not but let's say deism is true the fact that god created the world doesn't really mean that he's not far from us right so this is a this is a tremendous text to uh stomp deism to the curb i suppose
1: um but it well on 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 deism, in him we live. In other words, by his power, we exist. Uh, We were brought into existence. Uh, But, or maybe in his power, we have our being, but we live of our own accord and we move of our own accord on on a deistic way of looking at it. But I think that when he says not... We should seek God, feel after Him, and find Him, though He isn't far from every one of us. I don't uh, I think that the primary sense that Paul has in mind of not far is less about how many meters and more about God's uh, i as I think you were saying, his relationship to us, and the. It's a relationship of creator, uh, as most principally, but also as the as a provider. Yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. So, I, I think. In other words, you could be an omnipresent. You could believe in in Deism theoretically and be and hold to an omnipresent, but you wouldn't have. God's just omnipresent, and he created everything He just doesn't care, or you yeah, know, maybe he, he cares, but he's just not going to be bothered,
0: yeah he wouldn't be we wouldn't be his offspring and at least in in that stronger sense yeah i mean i i don't I don't disagree with your overall point, and i l- 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 hear me out I'm not saying that people can move if God doesn't want them to move or, you know, or, or the opposite, like they, they would have any motion at all. If God wasn't behind that motion or movement, of course not. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. So I don't think we're that uh, far apart on that sense. I, uh, I'm glad we went down that trail to, so I could hear your, your line of reasoning and it's a strong line. Um, Um, I had previously taken this more in an omnipresence type sense, but I don't deny that there's a... It it really, to me, is what's explicit versus what's implicit, right? I, I had previously thought explicitly it's talking about omnipresence, but implicitly it's talking about governance. But maybe it's explicitly talking about governance and implicitly talking about omnipresence but i think either way they kind of go hand in hand um so i i don't i don't necessarily know that um you you might be right and I, i don't i don't think we necessarily have to uh to uh wrestle that to the ground yeah all right good stuff man all right thank you um uh god be with you and also with you